Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Hopefully everything is going well. We've got a lot of very interesting stuff to get to with regards to Penn State sports today. I'm going to save the basketball for the second segment today. Obviously some huge news with Penn State hiring Mike Rhodes to replace Micah Shrewsbury. I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. We've done a lot with basketball lately. I want to start with a football topic and a question, really, for Penn State football fans. Now, kind of connect the dots here with me, because what we in the media try to do, what I try to do, what I've always tried to do in this business, is give you something interesting to read, or in this format, to listen to, uh, being on the radio, podcast, what have you. All right, so... If, if we come up with a Penn State football topic, pretty much no matter what it is, there is an audience for it. There, there's such passion, such tremendous passion for Penn State football players, the program, recruiting, so on and so forth. Here's my question for you today. How much do you care about Penn State football players going into the NFL draft And then once they get into the NFL. Now, why am I asking this question? Well, okay. I've covered Penn State football for more than 17 years now. If I write a story or talk about something with any current Penn State football player who's on the team or even a recruit or games or analysis or whatever, uh, the numbers that we have that people show that they eat that up, they enjoy people in the passionate fan base, they enjoy reading about current members of the team. That has really never been the case when I have written or talked about Penn State players in the NFL, which is interesting because we root for the laundry in this country. I think everybody does that. Sports fans everywhere, you root for the laundry. And so while I'm not saying that Penn State fans don't follow or appreciate or care about Penn State products in the NFL, I do get the sense, and I've always gotten this sense, that once the players leave Penn State, your overall interest and enthusiasm in them drops substantially. And I'm talking 
80-90%. There are exceptions to this, obviously. Saquon Barkley still remains a very popular figure for Penn State fans. Micah Parsons, an NFL superstar, remains a popular figure. But there are still a lot of other players from Penn State in the NFL, and maybe you want to hear about them every now and then. But do you really follow their careers all that much? Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you don't. I think it's the nature of a college fan to live and breathe everything a player and your team does while that player is in college. Why am I bringing up any of this? Well, it's because there you can get your Penn State news and coverage from a lot of different places. Obviously, if you're a Penn State fan, you can go to 50 different websites and get whatever you want to read about. I am always appreciative of people who read my stuff at DK Pittsburgh Sports Now, formerly the Altoona Mirror, or listen to my radio shows or podcasts. I, I've always kind of approached things in a little bit of a different way. Uh, I try to take a big picture approach. One thing I typically do not do a lot of compared to maybe a lot of other Penn State writers is I don't cover pre-draft stuff very much. I don't cover a lot of the guys once they get into the NFL. And my my, my reason for doing that is that I just get the sense that most of you, again, I'm not placing criticism or anything like that, most of you lose interest in these guys dramatically once they leave Penn State, even if they are in the NFL. You can tell me if you think I'm wrong there. I'd love for you to drop me a comment here on the on the podcast, or you can shoot me a text or uh, a note on Twitter as well. Um, I just view the way I view what you want to know about with Penn State football players is you'll eat up everything while they're in the program. So many fans love recruiting. Now you want to read so much about all these guys before they get there. But I've always kind of found it fascinating that at least internal numbers that I've seen readership feedback from from fans. I don't get a whole heck of a lot of it uh, about the NFL. So we've got the draft coming up here in a few weeks, and everybody will be interested about certain people. Joey Porter Jr. going in the first round and some other guys. But with all due respect to these guys, how much are you really going to follow Juice Scruggs going into the NFL? How much are you going to follow Parker Washington going into the NFL? Ironically, I do have a story coming up here on on Parker Washington in a couple of days and about the big gamble that I think he is making a huge gamble um, going into the draft while he's you know recovering from an injury, he can't work out, so teams can't test him or anything like that during this whole process. So I'll have that in a couple of days. But again, I, I I've always kind of gotten the feeling that you won't necessarily follow these guys all that much, the Brenton you know Brenton Strange or, or whatever, any of these guys that are going to be drafted. Not that you don't care about their success. But it's just the almost transient nature of being a college fan. You will root for anything and everything Penn State while the guys are at Penn State. Once they get into the pros, 
kind of a passing fancy. You'll follow him a little bit. You might catch a headline if a guy does something here or there. Again, there are exceptions, like I mentioned Saquon and Michael Parsons. But I just wanted to mention some of this. One, to get some feedback from you. If you want to weigh in and tell me I'm wrong, I'd love to hear it. Um, you can reach out to me at any in, in any capacity. But it, 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 another reason I'm talking about this is just to explain why I just don't go overboard with draft coverage. I don't go overboard with all of the detailed analysis with where these guys are going and and that kind of stuff like you might see other places. And when the draft comes, I'll I'll have some small stories on where they're going and, you know, the pr- projections or what have you. But uh, again, I just I've never felt like even as popular as the NFL draft is and even as popular as Penn State football players are, I've always gotten the sense that Penn State football fans you're ready to move on to the blue white game. You're ready to move on to recruiting for the next guys. And so you, you, it's almost like you've, you've rooted for these guys during their Penn State career. Now it's like, okay, uh, go get them. God bless. Good luck to you. Uh, and you're going to focus more on the Penn State guys that are, that are coming next behind them. So I, well, one thing, just kind of wrap up this segment. Having been on the radio for 13 years, hosting a talk show, which is now ended, by the way. I'm, I'm no longer doing a talk show in Central PA. Uh, a week and a half ago was, or so was my, my last show uh, in Altoona. I do hope to be back on in the fall. Uh, we have some, some plans being made that I'll be back on with a football show in the fall, uh, certainly in Altoona and maybe in some different areas. We'll see. But uh, since I've had a lot of time to talk in this kind of format, you know, podcast, radio show, that kind of thing, I do like to tell listeners what it is I'm thinking, why I cover things a certain way. I think there's a gigantic disconnect in this country between the media and and readers and consumers. You you guys don't know why the media does things a certain way. We try to read your brain, read your minds and give you things we want. We think that you want, but we don't always know because we don't always get a lot of feedback. So I've always really enjoyed kind of the back and forth I'll ask fans on my radio show, hey, what do you, what do you want to hear? What kind of topics are you interested in? What, what, I, give me a direct line, some direct feedback. Do you like this kind of, this kind of way about going about things? Do you not like it? I, I've always enjoyed just trying to have a, a, a level of open dialogue with sports fans because I don't think it works where I just write thousands of stories and leave it up for chance if you want to read them or not. I mean, we, do have to have the logistics, the numbers of what you're reading and, you know, try to give you more of what you show us that you want more of. I, I work for a site here at DK Pittsburgh sports where I'm writing stories every day. If, if I write stories and people aren't reading them, I'm like, okay, well maybe people aren't interested in that angle or what have you. So I'll go about doing it in a way where people are interested. That, that to me is really the the way it has to be now and we've got so much feedback and dialogue from sports fans, including in our comment section on the website, which I absolutely love those discussions. Anyway, just wanted to mention that as we get closer to the draft, I'll have some stuff on some Penn State players. But generally speaking, I'm just not diving into that stuff a whole heck of a lot.
All right, welcome back to the podcast. We've got the blue-white game coming up here in a couple of weeks. I have a lot of stories on the website leading into that. I do want to kind of wrap up our basketball coverage um, in this second segment. Obviously, some huge news this past week with Penn State hiring Mike Rhodes from VCU to replace Micah Shrewsbury. I wrote a column about this during the week where I talked about this finally. After all these years, finally, Penn State is committed to, to men's basketball. Now, the irony here is they had the kind of coach in Micah Shrewsbury whom everybody was behind. Everybody felt like the future of the program with Micah Shrewsbury could have been bright and because he was already doing so well, he was, you know, going to be offered other jobs around the country. And so everybody kept saying, well, you got to commit. You got to commit. You got to make a commitment. You got to show Michael Shrewsbury a full commitment that the, the administration is behind the basketball program, which it has never done ever. Okay. Well, lo and behold, Penn State did that pretty, pretty darn impressive. I'd heard a couple weeks ago, um, the way it works, I, I, I've covered Penn State for a long time. I've got a lot of sources in and around the university. In, in fact, doing the radio show, uh, my show was uh, simulcast in State College for many years. That got me a lot of sources, actually, from uh, in, in and around State College and, and the school. People would listen to my radio show. I kind of became a little bit of a voice. And so uh, there are a lot of people embedded in the community there. They either they work for the school or know somebody who works for the school. Word gets around about a lot of things in State College. And I, I've been able to build up a, a good bit of uh, trust and number of sources over the years. And there are certain people I trust more than others with, with information. I'd heard from a handful of people that Penn State was offering Michael Shrewsbury $4 million or more to stay. And even though these are some of the same people that I'd heard from over time for various other topics and everything around the school, I still, I still found myself having a hard time believing it. I just really struggled knowing all the finances of the school. And I've written a lot about this in the last couple months about the finances within the athletic program program. Um, I struggled believing that Penn State was going to offer $4 million a year for a basketball coach because the school has never, ever shown that level of commitment to basketball. All right, so then <laughs> Mike Rhodes is hired, and upon hiring him, Penn State released the contract terms which is just incredible. We've never seen that from Penn State basketball. And you know why? Because they were horrible. They were embarrassing. The numbers they've been committing to Penn State, to basketball coaches at Penn State for years has been an absolute joke. Just humiliating for the school and reinforcing the notion that no, Penn State is not committed to basketball. So then they release the figures. Mike Rhodes, year one, 3.4 million. Year two, 3.5 million. 3.6 million. 3.7 million. 3.8 million. 3.9 million. And in year seven, a seven year deal, he's going to get $4 million. That, that's 25.9 million. That averages out to 3.7 million a year. So I'm going to go back to what I said a couple minutes ago. 
that I had a hard time believing, even though I had pretty trusted sources telling me that they were offering Micah $4 million, if not more. Uh, just, I struggled with it. But to see that they're giving this this new guy $3.7 million, it leads me to absolutely believe that they were offering Micah at least $4 million, uh, if not maybe substantially more. And then maybe Micah took less to go to Notre Dame. I've talked about this for weeks and written about it. He could not turn down that Notre Dame job because I don't care. I don't care if Penn State was going to offer him more money than Notre Dame. Notre Dame's just a better job. It's a better situation. There's a better chance for consistent success at Notre Dame than there is at Penn State. But when I say Penn State has made a commitment now to men's basketball, to see these figures for a head coach, I keep coming back to this just so everybody's aware. I was told around 2016, 2017, Pat Chambers still was not making a million dollars a year. Are we ever going to know that? Those numbers were never made public, even though we in the media and I kind of was one of the people in charge of asking some of these questions sometimes to athletic director Sandy Barber or whatever, you know, because so many people ask so many questions about football. I love college basketball and I would throw out the question every now and then, are you ever going to release how much money a basketball coach makes? That kind of thing. Oh, and they never did because it was, again, embarrassing. Well, I've been told that Patrick Chambers finally got up over a million dollars his last couple of years at Penn State before he was dismissed. And then Micah was making two million. That's that's what I was told. That was a pretty good commitment uh, to go from a million to two million. That was a pretty good commitment to Micah Shrewsbury. And now to go to three point seven million a year average over seven years. I give the university credit. I really do. Um, I, I didn't think. They would be willing to do this, but keep in mind, you have a new university president who does not have a Penn State background. You have a new athletic director who does not have a Penn State background. This is not the Penn State brass and administration of old that are just going to hunker down and do things the way they've always been done at Penn State. Patrick Kraft probably feels like, whether he truly feels this or not, it is a perception that's out there that Patrick Kraft kind of dropped the ball in not being able to retain Micah Shrewsbury. I don't blame Patrick Kraft in any way for that. I think Micah Shrewsbury had to take the job. It was a perfect kind of job for him being an Indiana native. That doesn't change the fact, though, that Patrick Kraft probably felt pressure, even real pressure externally or internal pressure just for himself that he saw this really good basketball coach leaving. And so he'd better damn well do whatever he could to make sure you get another good coach. And if that meant paying a lot more money, this is part of Patrick Kraft's legacy. He's not going to hire, you'd think, maybe, knock on wood, he's probably not going to hire another football coach. James Franklin, we think, will be there a long time. He's not going to hire another wrestling coach. This basketball hire could be Patrick Kraft's legacy at Penn State. And he went out and he got the job done. Now, is Mike Rhodes the best coach that they possibly could have gotten? No. There are many other coaches in this country better than Mike Rhodes as a basketball coach. He's a, a really good coach, did really well at, at VCU. But Mike Rhodes is going into the Big Ten now. There are a whole bunch of coaches that you would think are better than Mike Rhodes. Tom Izzo, Matt Painter at Purdue, although their NCAA tournament struggles. Wow. Um, 
but Mike Rhodes, I do believe, is probably about the best coach they could have gotten right now. Okay. Penn State had to make a hire pretty quickly. You can't just, you know, go three, four weeks and go through this massive search and hope and wait for somebody. They had to get somebody right now. You got to start getting work on the transfer portal. You got to start talking to the kids in your own program who are going into the portal. You got to start talking to kids who are already in the portal. You got to start talking to recruits. They had to get this done now. And Mike Rhodes probably was the very best guy they could have gotten during this time period. People talk about Dusty May from Florida Atlantic, and I'm recording this just a few hours after their, oh my goodness, heartbreaking Final Four loss to San Diego State. The San Diego State dude hits a jumper at the buzzer to beat FAU by one point and knock out that Cinderella team. Look like FAU was going to the national championship game. And you could say, well, hey, why not Dusty May for the Penn State job? <laughs> well, Dusty May, if they would have won one tournament game, sure, maybe he's in the mix for the Penn State job. Once they won a second tournament game and a third tournament game and a fourth tournament game, he became he became he he put himself on a different level, a different plateau than the Penn State job. All right, so uh, Dusty May, his name is going to be in line for probably every major opening in the country next year. You, you take Florida Atlantic within a half second to the na- of getting to the national championship game, that guy's going to be able to pick anywhere he wants to go probably around this time next year. He might be the number one candidate in the country and, and probably a better candidate than Mike Rhodes. So um, that's what I'm saying. I really like the hire of Mike Rhodes. He's a Pennsylvania guy. He'll stay at Penn State, hopefully for a long time and have some success. They're going to pay him a lot of money to fully commit to basketball. They got to start paying the assistant coaches more money. They've got to spend more on NIL and help out with those resources, upgrade the joint. There are a lot of other things they've got to do other than just paying the coach to commit. I do love that Mike Rhodes went out and hired Joe Chrisman. By the way, that's that's uh, just another tangent of all this. But hey, look, did they get the very best coach in the country they could have gotten? Maybe not. Um, but for the time being, given the circumstances, the 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 pressure that everybody was under, the fact that he's a PA guy, you really got to like the Mike Rhodes hiring. Now, Mike Rhodes has got to hit the ground running because they've got a roster numbers crunch. They're losing all these seniors, Jalen Pickett, Andrew Funk, Cam Winter, Seth Lundy. He's going to the NBA early. They're losing some guys to the transfer portal. Maybe Rhodes can convince some to stay. Here's a key, though. More than a half dozen guys from VCU have entered the transfer portal, including the Atlantic 10 Conference Player of the Year. So maybe Mike Rhodes can grab two, three, four of those guys and bring them to Penn State. And then in year one next year, Penn State can maybe have a level of success and get off get off on the right foot. If he doesn't, oh boy, I shudder to think of what year one could be at Penn State given uh, the very thin roster right now. So you got to think that Mike Rhodes is doing everything that he can to convince some of those top players at uh, VCU to come to Penn State and then maybe some other guys in the portal from different places. But hey, look, that we don't do a ton with Penn State basketball. Traditionally, I didn't really cover games this year. We do write-ups and, and I do columns and everything. But I do want to thank everybody for reading 
the Penn State basketball coverage over the past few weeks. It was a very exciting time for the program. I did write a good number of stories over the last three to four weeks or so with all this. And the numbers internally, if you want to check, we're getting two, three, four, five thousand on a lot of these basketball stories that we've written. Those are good numbers. Folks, that's better numbers than we got for most of our football stories during the fall, which is amazing, really. But it does go to show uh, the enthusiasm and interest level there was for Penn State basketball. And we'll see if Mike Rhodes can keep it up. Welcome to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. I'm going to tell you about one of the dumbest damn quotes I've seen in sports in a while. This is on the women's basketball side. Now, let me first say, wow, Caitlin Clark, incredible. I watched her 41-point game against South Carolina in the national semifinals. She is just sensational. You just cannot say enough about Caitlin Clark, and I'll get back to her in just one second. South, but LSU got to is in the national championship game. They're playing uh, Sunday afternoon, so many of you may not even hear this podcast until the national championship game is over. But here's uh, uh, one of the best players for LSU, Alexis Morris. Here's what she said after watching Iowa beat South Carolina. Alexis Morris says, I watched the game. And I'm watching them guard South Carolina. I don't think they can guard us that way. Okay, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly fine quote. But then she goes on to say this. I don't think you can just leave me open on the perimeter or leave us open on the perimeter. Me personally, I find it very disrespectful. So I'm going to take that personally going into that game. You're going to have to guard us. That's just the competitor in me and the will to win. Now, what are we talking about here? Iowa beat South Carolina because South Carolina's guards don't shoot the three very well. Iowa, I give their coach all the credit in the world. She came up with a game plan of, hey, if you're not going to hit the three, we're just going to let you shoot it. There's a there's a video that's circulating of Caitlin Clark kind of tossing or shooing uh, a shooter away. She's like 10, 12 feet off the girl behind the three-point line. And and Caitlin Clark just kind of motions her hand like, hey, I'll go ahead and give you that. I'm going to even guard you. I'm 15 feet back. And South Carolina wasn't taking the shots, wasn't making the shots. And so this was a tremendous game plan. Hey, you know what? That's basketball. So when I say this is one of the dumbest damn quotes I've seen, she, the, the, the LSU player is talking about how it's disrespectful what Iowa did to South Carolina. I, I just think that's ridiculous. I, that, that's how you win in sports. That, that's how you win. You try to, you try to find an edge and take advantage of anything that you possibly can against your opponent. Now, is Iowa going to let the LSU shooters 
shoot open threes by 10 feet? No, absolutely. They're going to come up with a different plan. And look, you can take it and contextualize that this girl's just talked for LSU is just talking about how it's disrespectful if you do that to me. Well, that's fine. Sure. But it, it came across as she's saying it's disrespectful what Iowa did to South Carolina. <laughs> well, of course, tough. If, if you if you can't make threes, why should we guard you? I would tell my fourth graders that. In fact, I do. I, I you know, most of you don't know much about youth basketball, but a lot of kids like to jack up threes, and they have about an eight percent chance of making ones. I'm like, hey, let them shoot a three. Let them let them shoot thirty threes. If they make two, that's great. That's this is strategy. And so, for a for a player to criticize a game plan that helped one team get to the national championship game is just absurd to me. And I, I'm going to kind of uh, wrap it up by saying that athletes will get will find anything in the world to offend them. This is what athletes do. Even high level athletes, they are looking to be offended and motivated by anything in the world. It, it's so silly and comical to me. I laugh about this when Nick Saban or Alabama football players say, well, nobody thought we'd be here. We only, only we thought we'd win the national championship. What a bunch of crap. You're number one or two in the country every year. Everybody thinks that you've got a shot to win a national title. But Nick Saban and those players will use any perceived slight. Nobody thought we could be here. Even though we were unanimous number one in the preseason, nobody thought we'd be here. Because that's what athletes do. They look to be offended. They look to be slighted. And they use, they try to use anything in the world as a chip on their shoulder to motivate themselves. So I just found that comment from the LSU player about Iowa's game plan to be patently absurd. Congratulations to Iowa. Their coach, they came up with a great game plan. They beat a 36 and 0 South Carolina team and they deserve credit for it. They don't deserve for another player on another team saying that their game plan was disrespectful. That's just stupid. Now, given all that, wow, Caitlin Clark is amazing. Just a tremendous, tremendous talent. Through three years of her career, she averages 27 points a game. Even if you don't watch much women's basketball, and a lot of people don't, man, it's hard not to watch her play because she is just so unbelievably skilled. And I might write about something, write this uh, uh, at some point here in the next few days. I'm not sure. But she she's only played three years of college. She can't. She's got to come back for one more year because of, the excuse me, the WNBA age rules with their draft. She actually could come back for a fifth year because she can get the COVID year back in 2020. And if she does, she'll blow away. She could score 4,000 points in college basketball. I think she's already got 25, 2,600. She, she'll blow away uh, the NCAA single uh, or career scoring. Right? Kelsey Plum holds that record. But if Caitlin Clark, Clark comes back for her fifth year, she'll blow that away. But why would she come back for a fifth year? Why did not she just go on to the WNBA? NIL. Caitlin Clark, I read, makes more than a million dollars a year as a female basketball player in NIL. The highest paid, the story I read, the highest paid WNBA player makes $250,000 a year. I think a lot of WNBA players make 
75 to 125,000 a year. This is where it's fascinating from an NIL standpoint. We can look back at Sean Clifford on this from Penn State. Sean Clifford stuck around Penn State an extra year. I don't know exactly how much money he made. Maybe he made two, three hundred thousand dollars altogether running his business, NIL, and all that stuff. And would he have made a dime as a quarterback in the NFL if he didn't get on a practice squad? Then no. This is where NIL can be fascinating if it prolongs an athlete's college career because they can stay in college and make tons of money. Those Cavender twins, if you follow them at all down at Miami, the uh, girl basketball players, they make millions of dollars a year because they're NIL superstars. Well, Caitlin Clark, quite frankly, I, I read a quote where she said NIL won't come into play about her decision to go to the WNBA. But man, if I'm her parents, if I'm people in her corner, I'm saying stay in college as long as you can. If you can make a million and a half, two million dollars a year in NIL playing college basketball versus going to make $250,000 in the WNBA. Now, look, she would get her. She'd get endorsements there in the WNBA, too. And maybe it'd be closer too. But still, if you can make more money playing college sports than you can even at the highest level of professional sports, why not stick around? So that's going to be interesting to see. But I'll tell you, she is a fun player to watch. She is she is just sensational. And uh, I hope I hope they end up winning the national championship. They'll play LSU and we'll see how disrespected LSU feels or not after after that game. Hey, folks, that's going to wrap things up for me this week. As always, appreciate everybody for tuning in. If you got comments about anything that I've talked about, Post them here at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Shoot me a message on Twitter. Email me, text me, whatever, and I'll get back to you. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you next week.